This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, from time to time, I like to take you back to the year when the show was actually broadcast, but I'm going to drift even further back than that. In fact, let me take you back to December of 1900. Something happened in the tiny town of Gambo, Newfoundland, that will change the course of Canadian history. Joseph Robert Smallwood was born. Now, most know him as Joey Smallwood, the future father of modern Newfoundland. In 1946, it was determined there was to be an election to determine the fate of Newfoundland. Smallwood uses his radio platform to push the Confederation idea. Now, quickly caught on, especially with rural Newfoundlanders in the outports. Smallwood promises access to Canada's social safety net, including old-age pensions, as well as foreign investment and new public work investments. Confederation gains political momentum. He says... If you are not a millionaire, vote for Confederation. He adds that as an isolated country of 318,000 people, Newfoundland can't support itself. His summary was, we are not a nation, we are a medium-sized municipality, left far behind in the march of time. Now, of course, in the end, Joey won, almost 70 years after he first took office and more than 25 years after his death, Joey Smallwood is still a polarizing figure. Depending on whom you ask, he either saved Newfoundland from ruin or ruined it forever. Some people remember him dragging Newfoundland into the 20th century, and others remember the end of his term in office, which he became increasingly autocratic. Whatever you think of him, though, it's impossible to deny that he changed Canada forever. In 1948, while the war of words were raging on the rock, folks all across North America, including Newfoundland, we're listening to radio, including this show, The Fred Allen Show. The Ford Dealers of America present The Fred Allen Show. The Fred Allen Show with Fred's guest, a friend of Nature Boys named Jack Benny. Fulton Hoffa, Minerva Pius, Peter Donald, Parker Fenley, the DeMarco sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And this is Kenny Delmar speaking for your friendly Ford dealer. If you haven't yet seen the car of the year, the one and only new car in its field, by all means, ask your Ford dealer to show you the 49 Ford tomorrow. that I haven't been here the last few weeks to introduce our star, but tonight I'm back. And here I am again, Portland Hoffa. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Portland, where where have you been the last six weeks? Well, I have to stay home with Mom 
Mama. Oh, really? Why? Mama lost a fortune. How? Every Sunday, Mama sat home and they didn't call her. Who didn't call her? Stop the music. (laughs) Oh, how, uh... (laughs) You can do better. You're just feeling them out. I... uh, (laughs) How come you're out tonight? Well, Mama got a sitter. Oh, a babysitter? No. They have sitters for Stop the Music. No kidding. Mm -hmm. If you want to go out, the sitter answers the phone and sits with the $18,000 until you get home. (laughs) uh, They're the Lever Brothers again. Thank you, boy. (laughs) Say, if you were... Say, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's some profession, a quiz sitter. Oh, everybody's listening to Stop the Music. Oh, I know that. According to the latest Hooper survey, the only one who listens to our program is Edgar Bergen. <laughs> and even he's gone away, so tonight we're just... Radio programs today are giving everything away. I know. Radio is the Marshall Plan with music. <laughs> The slogan of the quiz program is, if you can't entertain people, give them something. (laughs) Just don't waste their time. Have them hanging around if nothing happens. You should change the name of this program to Stop the Comedy and give away new Fords. I should uh, change it to Stop the Comedy. (laughs) See, that's not a bad idea. Well, Portland, this is our last program for the summer. Is this the last time you'll mention Jack Eigen? Yes, it looks that way. If there's anything, there's Mr. Eigen. Thank you, Mr. Eigen. In case we call on him for a personal appearance later, you know. If there's anything you'd like to say since this is our last program, you know, before we finish. Well, I have some things that you cut out during the winter. Oh, really? What things? I had a song. What was the title of the song? When they find out about phenobarbital in Tennessee, it'll be sleepy time down south. <laughs> can't imagine why I cut that out. And I had some jokes. Really? What, uh, what jokes? What was about the man who ate nothing but radishes for 20 years? Ate radishes for 20 years? In his old age, he went down to Long Island and lived on the sounds. <laughs> Tell me, what, what are you laughing at? Well, to me, that very funny. Really? Well, if you ever came up before a juvenile jury for telling that joke, you would get 30 days in the playpen. (laughs) Say, it's getting late, Portland. I think I'd better start for Alan's Alley. What is your question tonight? Well, this is our last program. I'm just going down to the alley and say goodbye to our friends and to ask them where they plan to spend their vacations this summer. Shall we go? As the chorus girl said when the bee lit on her shin, I think I'll shake a leg. night in Allen's Alley, Portland. The front of Senator Claghorn's fence is gone. He must have given somebody the gate. Oh, well, let's, uh, let's see if the Senator's in. Somebody, I see somebody whap my watches. Oh, it's you, son. Yes, Senator. Well, let's go, son. I'm busier than an Arthur Murray hostess trying to teach a pupil with St. Vitus dance. You're busy? Yeah, I've been over to Philadelphia attending that Republican convention. Oh. I ain't seen so much hot air since the night I opened the wrong door in that Turkish bath. What about the Republican candidate, Senator? Well, Dewey ain't never going to get little old Harry out of the White House. Who says so? Petrillo says so. Petrillo? Nobody can take no piano player off of no job unless Petrillo says so. 
imagine you saw some amusing sidelights at the convention, Senator. Yeah, I enjoyed one incident. <laughs> <laughs> what was it, Senator? Well, one day my hat blew into a saloon. I stepped in to get it. A man was sitting at the bar asleep. Yeah? As I picked up my hat, the man woke up. He looked up at the television. Herbert Hoover was making a speech. Yeah? A man blinked his eyes and said, If Hoover is president, what am I doing with three dollars in my pocket? <laughs> This is our last visit together. What are you going to do this summer? I'm going to the beach, son. I see. I'm going to put on my bathing suit. Yes? I'm going to sprawl out on that hot sand. Yeah? And then I'm going to do what all our senators do all the rest of the year in the Senate. What? Just keep lying. So long, son. So long, Eddie. Long, long, well, when the senator gets sprawled out, there'll be something new under the sun. Oh, well, let's, uh, let's wake up Mr. Moody. Howdy, Bob. <laughs> well, Mr. Moody, are you going away for a vacation? Oh, I can't. I'm renting my barn for summer theater. Oh. <laughs> Last summer, I cleaned up. Made $180. $180. Well, what happened? Well, sir, one day I was out in the yard. Yeah? I was buttering the trees so caterpillars couldn't crawl up them. <laughs> And a fellow comes up. Yeah? He's carrying a bamboo cane, and in his tie, he's got a diamond. A diamond, eh? Yeah. It's as big as a Luton cough drop, and it's about the same yellow color. <laughs> yeah? I smelt donuts on this fellow's breath, so I knowed he was an actor. <laughs> yeah? He says, he says, Rube... I'm here to rent your barn for Orson Buskin and his touring Shakespearean players. Uh-huh. It's a deal, I says. Oh, he was the advance man. He didn't say. Oh, he didn't say. <laughs> the next day, Orson Buskin, his leading lady, Anna Cesario... Yeah. ...and the Shakespearean players arrived in town. They swung off a freight train. The, uh... <laughs> the actors, eh? Yeah. They looked like a mob that had just broke a hunger strike. I see. Well, sir, that night the show opened. It's Hamlet. Hamlet. All the Shakespearean actors is wearing long black underwear. Tights? Loose on most of them. Oh. The leading ladies was baggy. Oh. <laughs> In the back. Oh. Orson Buskin is strutting around the stage, holding a skull and saying... Alas, poor Boric, I knew him well. Well, how was the show? Rotten. <laughs> the audience threw 200 eggs at the actors. Well, if the show was so bad the audience threw eggs, how did you make $180? I was in the lobby selling the eggs at 90 cents a dozen. So long. <laughs> yes. with, with 200 eggs, Mr. Moody could lay on with McDuff. Oh, well, let's, let's try this next door. Ah, uh, Mrs. Nussbaum. Oh, you're wearing a corsage. What are those flowers? Lilies of the alley. <laughs> I see. In the center, there's a nasty urchin. <laughs> oh, the, uh, the nasty urchin looks pretty. My little niece is graduating Mrs. Buxbaum's finishing academy. Oh, and you're dressed up? You went to the graduation? My niece is valedictorio. Oh, swell. <laughs> She's reciting a poem. What was her class poem? She's calling it Ever Onwards. Ever Onwards. How does it go? Fair 
very well, Mrs. Buxbaum's Finishing Academy. You lined us all that we are knowing. Yeah. Never backwards, sideways, up or downwards. But ever onwards we are going. Say that. <laughs> well, tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, where are you going on your vacation this year? No place. No? Last year we are stopping by Kramer's Castle in the Catskills. And uh, you're not going back? Pierre is gaining 90 pounds. 90 pounds? How come? By Kramer's when it is time to eating, they are blowing a bugle. A bugle, huh? <laughs> the first day the bugle is blowing, we are eating breakfast. Uh-huh. Barely we are sitting on the veranda. Yeah? Again is blowing the bugle. Yeah. <laughs> they are going back, also eating again breakfast. Uh-huh. <laughs> They're coming out, again is blowing the bugle. You ate again? All day long is blowing the bugle. <laughs> and you and Pierre? Three breakfasts. Two lunches with four dinners we are eating. And this kept up? Every day. So soon we are finished eating. Toots is blowing the bugle. <laughs> Again, we are having to eat it. Well, isn't that unusual? Kramer's Castle serving so many meals a day? Ultimately, they are discovering. Discovering what? Who is blowing the bugle is not Kramer. Well, who? <laughs> who then? In back of Kramer's castle in the Catskills... Yes? ...is living a Boy Scout, thank you. <laughs> now, for the last time, let's call on Mr. Cassidy. Mr. Cassidy, you were... Mr. Cassidy, you have a black eye. I have that. I look as though my eyeball is passing through a total eclipse. Tell me, who gave you the peeper? Sure, nobody gave it to me. I had to fight half an hour to get it. What, uh, what happened? Well, yesterday, you see, I was invited to a wedding. Yeah? Knocko Nolan's homely daughter married Mullet Muldoon's half-witted nephew. Oh, this is... This was some affair. At the wedding breakfast, I was suddenly taken frosty. Yeah? So says I to Knocko, I'll take a little punch. Uh-huh. With that, Knocko rolls up his sleeve and gives it to me. <laughs> well, Mr. Cassidy, are you and your eye going away for your summer vacation? Uh, now, why should I go away? What have they got any place else that we haven't got here in New York? Well, they have water. Sure, we got sewers backing up on every street in the city. <laughs> Well, they have scenery. Me front window overlooks a brewery. You can't find scenery any finer than that. Well, that's true. Ah, uh, when the sun slowly sinks behind the big pile of steaming malt in the brewery yard, tis a picture Fitzpatrick will never show you in a travelogue. But, but how can you escape the intense heat here in New York? Well, no, I, I, I do what Rinty Monahan does. What? Well, when the heat gets so bad, Rinty can't stand it. Yes? Rinty starts insulting Grogan the cop. Insulting him? Um, insulting him how? Well, Rinty yells at Grogan, Ah, your grandfather is gargantuan. Yes? Then he yells, Your aunt sleeps with her eyes open. Yeah? And for the clincher, he yells, Ah, your mother wears army shoes. <laughs> well, wait, it's Grogan the cop gets mad. Naturally. But how does Rinty escape the heat? Grogan calls the wagon. Yes. And rushes Rinty off to the municipal deep freeze. The municipal deep freeze? The cooler. The wagon. Oh. <laughs> now, for their farewell joint appearance, the five DeMarco sisters and Maestro Al Goodman blend their talents to bring us fellow with an umbrella.
Fred. Yes, Kenny? There's a policeman outside to see you. A policeman to see me? Well, why should a policeman... Shh. Here he comes, Fred. You Fred Allen? Well, yes, officer. You work for the Ford dealers, don't you? Yes, officer. Allen, you got to stop talking about the new Ford car. You're violating the law. It's against the law to talk about the new Ford? You're causing crowds to congregate. Crowds? What crowds? All day there's crowds in front of that Ford dealer's window on Broadway. Oh, uh, don't worry about crowds blocking traffic in front of a Ford dealer's showroom officer. It's happening all over the country. Never mind all over the country. You got to get rid of them crowds on Broadway. But, officer, that dealer is displaying the new 49 Ford. There never was a car like this before. It's new and revolutionary in its field. The new Ford is a big, roomy car, safer and more economical to operate. And it hits a new high and smooth, comfortable ride. Don't give me no commercial. Yeah, but officer, the new Ford. <laughs> what? The new Ford is the talk of the automobile trade. It has the look of the year. In fact, it's the car of the year. You can't blame everyone for wanting to see it. I'm not blaming nobody. Just get rid of them crowds. Why, officer? I want to have a look at that new Ford myself. <laughs> Say, uh, Portland, Portland. Yes? We've got to get busy. This is our last program of the season at NBC, you know. I, I know. And as soon as we finish, I'll sweep out the studio. Yes, and give the broom back to the vice president in charge of brooms on, on the next one. <laughs> and you know what else you have to do? Yes. I have to wipe off the acoustics. Yes, have the acoustics good and dry when we leave. Pick up any racing forms the musicians leave behind. <laughs> and any parlays, turn them right over to me. And when the program is over, if anybody in the audience is sleeping, yes. I'm to wake them up and tell them to go home until October. Right. Well, I guess that's everything, Portland. I'll say goodbye to you now. Have a nice vacation. I'll see you in the fall. Oh, are you going now? Yes, I have to. Jack Benny's sailing for England. I promised to see Jack off. I bought him this travel book. Look, Fielding's new travel guide to Europe. Say, it's late, Portland. I better start for Jack's hotel. So long, Portland. Ah, this must be the Benny suite. There's a do bill sticking out under the door. I wonder if old Tacit Pockets is in. Oh, hello, friend. Jack Benny. Well, uh, well, Jack. Come on in, Fred. I'm packing. Oh, packing. Go right ahead. Sit down. Like something to drink? Uh, no, thanks. 
Coke, Seven Up, Crown Cola? No, no. I'm closing them out. They're only four cents a bottle. Four cents with two straws. Two straws. Yeah, if you buy a bottle, I'll join you, and I hope you do. Sam Thirsty. No, no, Jack. I just came over to say goodbye. Well, I thought you'd be all packed. No, and I've been riding around on the subway all day. Why? It was my last chance. Last chance in the subway? Next Thursday, the fare goes up to 10 cents. <laughs> I'm riding while the price is right, brother. <laughs> but, Jack... Ten cents for a subway ride. Well, I didn't do if it. If Ralph Edwards hadn't made me the walking man, this would have done it. <laughs> I better finish packing. Well, look, as you're packing, you can't pack this bathing suit, Jack. Look, it's still wet. I know. And what about this little package here? Oh, that's a carton of Lucky Strikes. I bought them in New Jersey, you know. Oh? <laughs> well, why go all the way to Jersey to buy a carton of cigarettes? Oh, it's a nice trip. Besides, I saved 24 cents tax there. <laughs> Well, how could you save 24 cents? It cost 20 cents to get to Jersey and back on the ferry. Well, I didn't go on the ferry. Well, how did you get across the Hudson River? Give me that bathing suit. I'll ring it. Jack, be careful. One sleeve and the skirt are still dripping. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the trouble with these Annette Kellerman models. I told Annette the day she gave it to me. Yeah. Annette, I said, if you can keep it from dripping, you can make a fortune. Say, uh, I just remember, Jack, I brought you this book. Here, Fielding's New Travel Guide to Europe. Thanks, Fred, but I've got my trip all planned. Oh, where are you going to stay in England? Well, Ronnie and Benita Coleman recommended a place they said I'd like. Yeah? His Majesty's Trailer Camp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's run by Sir Herbie Harrison. Sir Herbie? Uh, he's the Howard Johnson of England. <laughs> well, you're all set. Where else are you going? Well, I may fly over to France for a week or two of, uh, parley booing. Yeah. <laughs> have, you, uh, have you got a place to stay in France? Yeah, you see, Charles Boyer gave me an address. Oh, a French trailer camp? No, it's Hildegard's aunt. Oh, <laughs> She rents rooms in the Eiffel Tower. Oh, in the uh, in the Eiffel Tower. How are you going to get around? Do you speak French? Oh, I'm learning. I'm learning French. We, oui. we. Oui? That means us in French. <laughs> hey, no kidding. Yeah, listen to this, Fred. Qui accroche les rossignols suma pet kit. Oh boy, do you rattle it off? That's a what? Uh, that's all French. Now, what does that mean in English? Who is hiding the nightingale under my strudel? <laughs> well, won't, uh, won't that be a difficult sentence to work into a conversation? <laughs> no, 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 no. You see, I'm carrying a nightingale with me. Oh. <laughs> strudel, I can get any place. <laughs> well, look, Jack, it's time to go. With my luck, that's the bellboy. Come in. Uh, are you ready to check out, Mr. Benny? Yes, boy, you can take my bag. Well, how about the tip, Mr. Benny? The tip? You haven't carried my bags down yet. I mean for carrying them up four days ago. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I'll settle the whole thing in the lobby. May have to break an annuity. <laughs> the dents will be surprised. 
Now, come on, come on, Jack. Boy, don't squeeze that paper bag. It's my nightingale. Come on. Well, the lobby's... The lobby's empty. Jack, let's go over to the desk. You can check out. Okay, say, clerk. Oh, yes, Mr. Benny. Here's your bill. Thank you, clerk. I'll just check these items over oh, here. Oh, come on, Jack. It's getting late. I'll just be a minute, Fred. Let's see. I got my magnifying glass here. Let's see. <laughs> clerk, what is my total bill? Uh, $43.80. Mr. Benny has fainted. Yeah, he fainted the last time he was here. He's got to make that boat, clerk. Bellboy, carry these bags and Mr. Benny out to the cab. Boy, put Mr. Benny down until his bill is paid. <laughs> but, clerk, Mr. Benny's unconscious. Then go through Mr. Benny's pockets and get the money. Well, all right. Oh, shoot. What's wrong? His pockets are locked. <laughs> Boy, put Mr. Benny in the safe until he comes through. But he'll miss the boat, clerk. I'll pay the bill. It's $43.80. Here you are. Thanks. Boy, you carry Mr. Benny's bags. I'll carry Mr. Benny and his nightingale. Well, Jack, here's your boat. Yes, sir. The Queen Beulah. Heard of the Queen Mary and the Queen Elizabeth? Well, this is a sister ship. The Queen it? Bueller? Yeah, she's really a stepsister. Oh, know? a step. <laughs> Say, this man coming with the wet anchor, he must be the captain. Boy, mates, welcome to the Queen Bueller. Shiver me timbers, I'm glad to have you aboard. Well, I'm not sailing, Captain. I'm seeing Mr. Benny off. Uh, very well, I'll check your passport, Mr. Benny. Here you are. Mm. Something wrong? Well, this picture. Well, Captain, you know, passport pictures. But this is a shrunken up old bloke with no hair and no teeth. But, uh... I can't accept this passport, Mr. Benny. This picture ain't you. But, Captain... Jack, you want to get to England, don't you? Yes. You better take off your toupee. <laughs> All right, there you are, Captain. Well, that takes care of the scalp. Jackie... Yes? You better take out your teeth. <laughs> okay. How's that, Captain? Well, now you resemble the picture, Mr. Benny. You're a shrunken up old bloke. All the embarrassing things. I bet Lana Turner didn't go through all of this. <laughs> Jack, Jack, quit complaining. It's your own fault. Where was the picture taken? Warner Brothers. They do it to me every time. <laughs> All right now, Mr. Benny, if you'll give me your ticket, I'll show you to your cabin. My ticket? Uh, yes. Maybe you, maybe you put it in your stocking with your money. No, no, I'm wearing liquid stocking. Oh, I can't be. <laughs> well, don't, don't bother looking, sir. I'll just check the list. Now, you're traveling first class, Mr. Benny. First class? Yes. Well, not exactly, is it? Oh, if you're going second class, that's three flights down. Okay, Fred, take my luck. Right, Jack, I've got everything. It's down these stairs. Say, Jack, this package under my left arm, it seems to be getting bigger. It's probably unfolding. It's a deck chair. <laughs> you, brought, you brought your own deck chair? You know, they rent them here, you know. <laughs> Say, who is this woman coming up the stairs? She's blowing up water wings there. Can I help you, gentlemen? I'm the matron, second class. Oh, will you show Mr. Benny to his cabin? May I see your ticket, Mr. Benny, please? My ticket? Don't bother. I'll check your name. You're sailing second class? 
Well, not exactly second class. Oh, third class. That's three flights down. Thank you. It's down here, Fred. Just follow me. Jack, I don't get it. A guy with your money can certainly afford to travel first or second class. Fred, I may be a lot of things, but there's one thing I'll never be. What's that? A snob. A snob. (laughs) A snob? When I travel, I like to be with people. Well, if you go any lower, you'll be with fish. Well, I think we're in third class now. Gosh, I'm going to look funny in my beret. Everybody down here is wearing babushkas. All right, gents. Uh, welcome to third class. Who are you? The steward and chance. Oh, will you show Mr. Benny to his cabin? Cabin? You mean hammock, don't you, bud? Well, all right. To his hammock. That's better. What's your number, Buster? Number? Yeah, didn't you get a number with your ticket? My ticket? You're third class, ain't you? Well... Jack, you... <laughs> You must be third class. I'll check. Steward. Yeah? Is the coast clear? Yeah. Sam sent me. (laughs) Oh, Sam sent you. Oh, that's two flights down. Two more flights? Yeah, go through the decompression chamber and turn left. (laughs) Come on, Fred. What is this? Who is Sam? A sailor I met at Roseland. He said if I ever went on the Queen Beulah to mention his name. Here we are, Fred. Put the bags down. Gosh, it's dark in here, Jack. It sure is. Hey, Jack, something is licking my face. No kidding? It's a cow. Why, the place is crawling with cows. Good, I'll have fresh milk all the way over. <laughs> Jack Benny, the star of the Lucky Strike program. <laughs> you think you are on the contented hour. <laughs> Fred, not so loud. How can you travel down in the bottom of this boat? No room, no bed. Fred, quiet. Well, you can't stay in here with all of these cows. They can't do this to you, Jack Benny. I'll get the cap. Fred, will you shut up? Shut up. You're going to England, aren't you? Yes. You've got your ticket, haven't you? Well, you <laughs> haven't got a ticket. I knew you were cheap, but going to Europe as a stowaway. Look, Alan, give me my nightingale and go already. Benny, you can't get away with this. The captain will find you down here with all these cows, and then what are you going to say? Moo. Thank Jack Benny for dropping in. After tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we won't be here to remind you that your Ford dealer extends you a standing invitation to stop in and let him show you the new Ford. He'll be glad to have you get inside a new Ford and handle the controls. And he will also explain the new engineering features to you. Everyone saying the new Ford is the car of the year. You'll say the same thing after you visit your Ford dealer. Thank you, and good night until October 3rd. Thank you. Good night. Some fun stuff there, huh? Stay tuned for Dragnet next on Theater of the Mind. 
You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Dragnet, next on Theater of the Mind. Ladies and gentlemen, next week, Thursday, August 24th, Dragnet will be heard one hour earlier at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to Juvenile Bureau. A vicious case of wanton and willful destruction of private property occurs in your city. Suspicion points to a juvenile. Your job, find him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, April 10th. It was cool in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of Juvenile Bureau. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Inspector Bowling. My name's Friday. It was 9.35 a.m. when we got to 1335 Georgia Street. Captain's office. I want to ask you to sit down. We're not going to be here that long. You sound mad. Get your hats. Right with you. Where's the car? Right out front. All right. What's up? A rotten mess. We got in the car and drove south in Figueroa till we got to West 103rd Street. According to Inspector Bowling's directions, we turned right and went about four miles. He directed us to pull up in front of a one-story frame residence that had been converted into small business offices. On the right side, going in, was a neighborhood jeweler's shop. We could see him working in the window. Over the door of the office on the left was a lawyer's shingle. The gold lettering was new. It's this way. Lawyer's help. That's right. Name's Paul Wilson. It's me, Mr. Wilson. Oh, come in, Inspector Bowling. Mr. Wilson, this is Sergeant Friday. Romero, juvenile detail. I'm assigning with this case. How do you, Sergeant? Oh, All right, look at it. Just look at it. Look at that, Jim. Yeah. Paint. All over everything. Look at that leather chair. It's ruined. The desk. Smeared with the stuff. Green paint. Yeah. Looks like they threw it on the mop, then. Rug soaked with it, the walls. Look, Jim. They even got the clock. Yeah. Take a good look. Remember it when you tag whoever did it. These your law books, Mr. Wilson? Yes, sir. I didn't have to do this. Poured paint all over him. Yes, sir. When did all this happen? Sometime last night. Found it this way when I came in this morning. Any idea who did it? That's why he called us. We're going to find out. I don't know who'd want to do a thing like this. Just opened my office three days ago. Just hung out my shingle. You just started practicing laws, then? Yes, sir. Graduated from Loyola University Extension Division. Been looking for office space for a long time. Was anything taken? No. It's such a dirty, rotten thing to pull. 
Undoubtedly a kid. That's pretty vicious for a kid. Can you think of any enemies that you might have had, Miss Wilson? No, sir. No one would do a thing like this. Can't understand it. There's no reason for it that I can think of. Crime report shows they got in the back door. Is that right, Mr. Wilson? Well, can you come back here? I'll show you. Okay. Yeah, here it is, right here. See, this used to be the kitchen when this was a flat. I was going to put a hot plate in here for coffee. Oh, yes. You can see where they cut through the screen door. It's all right. It's been checked. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Any pass key would fit the inside door here. Yes, sir, that's right. You can follow the trail of that green paint right from this door all the way through the house. Yeah. I don't know how I'll ever get it all off. You know of any cleaners who handle things like this? We're not allowed to recommend anybody, Mr. Wilson. If you have somebody in mind, we'd be happy to call them for you. Thank you. I'd appreciate it. I was going to make some calls, but I haven't got my phone installed yet. Estimated damage about $1,800. Is that right? That's what I figure, yes. My law books are over $600 alone. Borrowed the money from the bank for the furniture. You haven't noticed any kids in the neighborhood, none of them around while you were moving in? No, I didn't see any. I moved everything in myself, rented a trailer, made several trips to get it all over here. Guess that was a silly thing to do. Why? Well, the store where I bought the furniture said they'd deliver it, but... I couldn't wait to see everything in first office, you know. Yeah, we understand. Well, like I said, I made several trips with the trailer, and I didn't lock the office each time I left. Didn't figure it was necessary. The fellow across the hall with jeweler said he'd keep an eye on things for me. But you did lock up last night, didn't you? Oh, yes. As soon as I was moved in, I locked the place at all times when I wasn't here. That's it. We'll get right on it. I don't have to tell you again. I want a fast answer. Where do we start? With an empty pig can. Before we left attorney Paul Wilson, we took a sample scraping of the green paint to serve as a color check. We started to canvas the neighborhood door to door. We covered the area for a radius of six blocks, questioning the residents and checking out the youngsters. We failed to come up with anything. We figured another good angle was to try the schools in the area. We checked on the students who had been in any kind of trouble involving malicious pranks. We had the principals line their students up. We looked them all over thoroughly for any evidences of paint of any kind on their person or on their clothing. The few leads we found led nowhere. After a week without success, we went back and rechecked the neighborhood, the paint stores, to see if anyone had bought any green paint, anyone they might have forgotten to tell us about the first time through. No leads. Monday, April 18th, Ben and I stopped for a Coke at a hot dog stand in the corner of 103rd and Oakview Avenue. A couple of Cokes, please. You want to help yourself, sir? Yeah, okay. Here's one. I don't see any more. There's one lying on the side. No, no, over there by the grape. Oh, yeah. Let me get it for you. Oh, thanks. Here you are. Good. Every time I think of that boy's office, it makes me sick. Yeah. If we could... If we could just get some kind of a lead. Anything for a start. Pardon me. I'd be satisfied. There's nothing to work on. It's like stabbing in the dark. Joe. Yeah? Look down the street there. Hmm? This is tin can day. Everybody's got them set out in front of the houses. It's worth a try, isn't it? Let's try a place across the street and then work down the block. All right. Come on. 
I had a cousin move down from San Francisco. It took him almost a year to get used to this tin can system here in L.A. Is that so? Yeah, up there they throw everything into one garbage can. Tin cans, no. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, sure. Tad's my cousin, never could get used to putting the cans out. Backyard was full of them before his wife reminded him to put them out. Yeah. Garbage kind of piled up, too. They wouldn't pick it up with the tin cans in it. Yeah. You want to check these here? Yeah, get all right. This. Okay. Don't see any paint can. No, none here either. How about those down there? Okay. I'll get this box. Wonder if this is any good. What's that? Prune juice. See a lot of empty bottles. Any paint cans? No. That's so. That's the way it went, block after block, house after house. We covered five blocks, checking the containers full of empty tin cans. Found a few paint cans, none of them the right color, or any combinations that would go together to make the right color. It was a tiring job, but we figured it was at least a place to start. Sure, a lot of cans here. There must be a new bride, huh? I don't know. You find anything? No, not sure. How about this? Huh? This one. One gallon can... Green. What's that? Yes? Police officers, ma'am. This empty paint can belong to you. You can have it if you want. We threw it out. Uh, do you have any children here, ma'am? Yes, a boy. How old is he? One year. Would you mind telling us what this paint was used for? We just moved here. Is there any law about throwing out paint cans? Oh, no, ma'am. We're investigating the case. Just like to know what the paint was used for. Did old man Boone send you over? Big pardon? Mr. Boone, the man we rented this house from? No, ma'am. I thought maybe it was him. He said we couldn't do any painting inside. We don't know anything about that. You sure? I don't trust him. No, ma'am. You say the paint was used to redecorate? Yes, come in. I'll show you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. I lost Steve, my husband. I told him he should have waited till Sunday. Mm-hmm. Whose idea was it to paint the bathtub? Carlos. He's going to night school learning English. The teacher told him the best way to learn was to speak it around the house. Yes. It's better for the little one, too. Well, anyway, Carlos gets paid on Saturday night. Then he stops at the little place where the fellas he works with and has a little drink. He gets his paycheck cash there. Mm-hmm. When he came home, he said he was going to paint the bathroom for me. <laughs> this is all a little dude. I was in the kitchen and I yelled to him to paint around the top. Around the top, I say. Yeah. Like I said, he doesn't know English too good yet. We have a green top. I see. Well, thank you. He's going to clean the top next Saturday. We'll use the shower. Painted that too, didn't he? Well, thank you very much, ma'am. We're sorry to have disturbed you. Well, that's all right. I'm worried about next Saturday night. Why is that? There's no telling what he's going to do with that paint remover.
4.30 p.m. We were no closer to finding out who spread that paint around a turn in the attorney's office than when we started. We continued checking the neighborhood, but we found nothing. A few minutes before 5, we got a call to check back in with Inspector Bowling. You do any good out there? Nothing to tell. We had a little action, a new one. You know what's that? Came in about an hour ago. Somebody poured kerosene on three palm trees and set them on fire. Three trees, three different blocks. Yeah. Kept the fire department busy. Tied up the traffic for several hours. I've sent additional juvenile cars out there to cover happening in the same general area as the paint job. Mm-hmm. Any leads? No. Anyone who would smear paint over an office might set a palm tree on fire. Same type of gag, malicious mischief. Think there's a connection between the two? Well, it's anybody's guess. Paint routine's a new one, so is the palm trees. They're both one-time only shots. Maybe the two connect somewhere along the line. Yeah, maybe. Well, it's got to stop. We can't even find a place to begin. We've tried everything we know. Starting again tomorrow. That isn't going to make that young lawyer feel any better. Yep. Who? Are you taking him down to the detention room? He does, huh? All right, I'll see him. Yeah, right now. 16-year-old boy out there says he's got to see me. Would you like to talk to him alone? No, it's all right. You stay. Come in. You're the chief? My name is Bowling, Juvenile Bureau, yeah. Could I talk to you alone? Well, these officers work with me. Can you talk in front of them, son? I guess so. Well, come on over here. You want to sit down, son? I'd rather stand if it's okay. All right, what's on your mind? I want to confess. What do you want to confess, son? I murdered somebody. You are listening to Dragnet, actual case histories taken from official police files. Next week, Thursday, August 24th, Dragnet will be heard one hour earlier at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time. Six p.m. Monday, April 18th. The boy identified himself as Arnold Waterman. Gave his age as 16. He told us that two days before, at 98th Street and 2nd Avenue, he'd shot a man to death and hidden his body in the basement of a house. He was taken to the interrogation room where a police stenographer took his statement. Inspector Bowling sent Ben and I out to check his story. 9.30 p.m., we drove back to Georgia Street Juvenile and went to the interrogation room. Arnold? Yes, sir? These two men have been out at 98th Street and 2nd Avenue checking your story. Do you find the body? No, there's no body out there. There should be. I put it in the cellar. There's no house out there. It's a vacant lot. We checked all the houses near there. You sure you killed somebody? Of course I'm sure. I stole a gun. I shot him three times in the back. What'd you do with the gun? I threw it in Westlake Park. Where? In the water. I rented a boat and rowed out to the middle. That's where I threw it in. Why did you kill a man? I don't know. I didn't like him. Well, look, boy. You didn't kill anybody. There's nothing to back up your story. There's not an ounce of truth in it. How do you know you haven't found a body? Just wait. You'll find him, then you'll see. I killed him, all right. Will you show us where you hid the body? Why should I? I told you, you can find it. These men have gone over that entire area thoroughly. There's nobody out there, and you know it. You cops are funny. When somebody won't admit a murder, you keep asking questions until they do. I'm telling you I murdered somebody, and you keep trying to talk me out of it. If we can find one shred of proof, we might go along with you. You can't be convicted without proof. How much do you need? You got my confession. I offered to sign it. They wouldn't let me. What more do you need? We need a victim, Arnold. If you knew where to look, you could find it. We've looked every place you told us to. You're lying to us, huh? Why? I never liked the old man. I hated his wife. I killed her, too. I wasn't going to tell you that. Where do you go to school? I quit school to sell papers. I had to support my mother. Where's your father? I don't know. My mother wouldn't tell me. 
That's where I met the old man I killed, selling papers. He was my boss. None of us liked him. Nobody had the nerve to do it but me. The rest of the guys were scared, but not me. What was the old man's name? Can't think of it right now. He was her boss. He never told us his name. We just worked for him. Where'd you sell papers? I don't remember. I had to sell papers. We were going hungry. I couldn't stand to see my mother starve. Couldn't your father work? I don't know where he is. I told you that. We tried to get on relief. They wouldn't let us. I made a lot of money selling papers. After a while, we didn't need relief anymore. We made $100 a week. Why are you lying to us, son? If you think I'm lying, why don't you let me go home? We have anything to hold you for. You can go home. Not until I have a trial. I already call a lawyer. He'll be over pretty soon. I've sent for your mother, Arnold. She'll come down and take you home. I didn't want her to know anything about this. I may have to go to the gas chamber. It would make her feel bad. You shouldn't have called her. It's no use. Let's go back to the office. His mother ought to be there by now. All right. Romero, you want to stay with the boy? All right. You better go out and find that body. Come on, Joe. I killed that old man. You can't say I didn't. The boy's a pathological liar. Well, it looks that way. Probably an inferiority complex. And this is the way of making himself important. Well, we all know he didn't kill anybody, but I wonder if he's got something else in his mind, huh? How do you do? You're Mrs. Waterman? Yes. Inspector Bowling? Yes, ma'am. This is Sergeant Friday. How do you do, ma'am? How do you do? You have to excuse my appearance. I slept a little late today. We've got your boy down the hall. He's all right. Trying to get us to swallow a few tall stories. Yeah, he's like that. What did he tell you? He tried to give us a story about killing somebody. Well, I'm not surprised. This isn't the first time. I'll never understand that kid. Has your boy ever been in an institution, Mrs. Waterman? No, he's not bad. He just likes to lie all the time. He's an awful liar. Went to his high school principal the other day, told him his father and I beat him. We wouldn't give him any lunch money. Where is your husband? He has a newspaper concession on one of the railroad trains. How often is he home? Once a week, sometimes every two weeks. It's the only business he knows. Yes, ma'am. Maybe that's the reason the kid's the way he is. My mom always used to tell me a kid needs his father. Still, whenever my hubby's home, he always does the right thing. Arnold started telling these lies a long time ago, and ever since, as when his father found out, he, he catches it. What do you mean? Good strapping. That's all a kid like him understands. His father knows how to handle him. Whenever he lies, he takes the strap to him. You think that's the best way to handle him? Don't you? Well, you know what you're doing, Mrs. Waterman. He's your son. But if you wouldn't mind a little advice, do you mind my telling you? No, not at all. Well, that boy needs care, and he needs it bad. A strap's not the answer. He needs attention, good supervision, and a lot of companionship. I'm not conducting a class in child psychology, but care for that boy of yours. Care for him before the state has to. It's just those stories of his. That's what's wrong with him. Came on the other night with the wildest tale I ever heard. Yes, ma'am. Said he threw green paint all over somebody's office. <laughs> Ben and I drove out to the Waterman home. We checked through the boy's belongings. His mother showed us his room. In his closet, we found a pair of corduroy trousers, a white T-shirt, and other articles of his clothing spattered with the same shade of green paint that had been found in the office and furnishings of attorney Paul Wilson. We asked Ms. Waterman where her son Arnold was on Sunday night, April 9th, the night that the office had been broken into and smeared with paint. She told us she didn't know, but that he came home that night with paint on his clothing. Ben and I went back to the office where we filed an application for a petition and detention. Section 700, sub M, WIC, malicious mischief, one count. Two days later, in juvenile court, the calendar was called. Arnold Waterman's name was first on the list. The judge, the subject, and all those concerned in the case retired to the judge's private chambers. Ben and I, Arnold Waterman, and his mother. The subject was informed of his constitutional rights, and Judge Frank J. Smith read the findings of our investigation. Arnold, 
It alleges in this petition that on April 9th at approximately 8.30 p.m., you entered the office of Attorney Paul Wilson at 9218 West 103rd Street, where you willfully and without Mr. Wilson's permission did maliciously damage his office to the extent of approximately $1,800 by pouring paint over his rugs, furniture, books, and other articles in his offices. Is this true, Arnold? Yes, sir. Did you know Mr. Wilson? No. Arnold, I'd like to know why you did that. I felt like it. You'll have to give me a better answer than that, youngster. That's the best I can do. That's good enough, isn't it? No, it isn't good enough. We have a courtroom full of boys outside who probably want to be helped, and we're going to try to help them. We can't help you unless you want to be helped. You don't want to help me. You don't believe anything I tell you. Officer Friday. Yes, Your Honor. You and Officer Romero investigated this case from its inception? We did. As a result of your investigation, what's your opinion of this boy's truthfulness? Well, Your Honor, I think I can speak for Officer Romero here as well. In all our talks with the boy and our observations of him, it's our opinion, for what it's worth, that the boy's a pathological liar. Basically, he seems to have the makings of a good youngster. His environment's bad. Seems to have very little, if any, parental guidance. Tells lies, Your Honor. Lots of them. And that seems to be everyone's opinion. It's not mine. If you'd spend more time trying to find out if I'm lying instead of trying to put me on the spot, you'd earn your money. Your stories have been thoroughly investigated and double-checked by competent police officers. There is absolutely no basis of truth in anything you've said. I'm getting sick and tired of everybody calling me a liar. Do you hear me? Young man, sit down in that chair. Now, we review a great many juvenile cases here in my private chambers, but that does not alter the fact that you are in a court of law. You will lower your voice, speak in a gentlemanly fashion, and tell the truth. Is that understood? Yes, sir. Mrs. Waterman, could you give this court any reason for your son's behavior? It's a mystery to me, Judge. Fred, that's his father. He can't understand it either. He's always lied. His father beats him for it. I guess he'll always lie. That's all you can say in your son's behalf? What else is there to say he's a liar? Arnold, I'm going to ask you once more. Why did you smear paint all over Attorney Paul Wilson's office? I didn't like him. Why didn't you like him? I didn't like him, that's all. Tall, skinny, funny-looking guy. You mean you destroyed his property because you didn't like his looks? Something like that. He was cheap. I saw him moving in. He had a trailer. He was moving his own stuff in. Why didn't he hire a mover like everybody else? I don't like cheap people. You know anything about this man, Wilson? No. What business was it of yours, whether or not Mr. Wilson decided to move his own furniture? Do you know that he's a young man, not much older than you, just graduated from law school, took a lot of time, took a lot of his money, money that he earned to put himself through school, and you sit there, a mere sketch of a boy, passing judgment on a fine young man like Paul Wilson? And boy, let me tell you something. I don't know if you're a God-fearing lad or not, but you'd better fall on your knees and ask forgiveness and hope that somebody hears you, that he hasn't lost patience with you. You better raise up those sights of yours, lad, and pray for forgiveness. I hope those tears mean something, Arnold. Now, do you have anything to say before I pass judgment on this case? Yes, sir, I have. I'd like to tell you about something else I did. There were some palm trees out there. I put kerosene on them and set them on fire. Oh, Friday. Would you know anything about this? Yes, Your Honor, that checks with the reports. Any property damage? No, Your Honor. Kept the fire department pretty busy, that's about all. I didn't kill anybody. I just made that up. Yes, we know, Arnold. Do you have anything else to add, Mrs. Waterman? No. I don't know what else you can do with a kid. I'm glad it's somebody else's problem. 
According to the findings of the probationary officers and the investigating officers and what I've heard and observed in these chambers, I have no alternative but to remove this boy from his present home and environment and place him in a foster home where he will receive closer supervision and the care that he requires. Does that meet with your approval, Mrs. Warman? It's fine with me, Judge. Fred and I can hardly make ends meet now, and it's a shame to waste what money we have on this kid. It's all I can do to squeeze out the new clothes I need. Then you approve this plan. I can't wait to tell Fred. Well, when you tell Fred, you can also tell him the taxpayers are not going to assume the burden of the mistakes that you and your husband lavished on this boy. What do you mean, Judge? The expense of placing the boy in this foster home comes to the amount of $35 a month. You and your husband will pay this sum. The law covers that. It's an awful lot of money. The payment will be due on the first day of each month. You will meet this requirement or be held in contempt of court. I'm only sorry that's as far as the law goes. The laws of the state of California do not make the parents responsible for the thoughts of their children unless contributory negligence can be proven. In my eyes, it is contributory negligence on your part, but unfortunately, it cannot be proven. Any faults that this boy may have are yours. You as a parent are responsible. We did the best we could in raising the kid. Madam, you didn't raise him. Hearing dismissed. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On April 18th, the hearing was held in the private chambers of Judge Frank J. Smith, Juvenile Court, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. You have just heard the results of that hearing. Next week, Thursday, August 24th, Dragnet will be heard one hour earlier at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police W.A. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles. Now hear Sarah's private caper. September 7th, it's Father Knows Best. On NBC. I love that theme. <laughs> no mistaking where that leads you, huh? Well, thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Great Gildersleeve, followed by Richard Diamond. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.